famous illustration with Wynton Marsalis was an incredible trumpeter and he was playing in a jazz club in New York once and it was uh, an epic performance and at the very height of his performance it got a little a little quiet and it was very very emotional and then somebody's cell phone went off and one reporter says that it it was the magic was ruined. People started talking and muttering about, and then Witten apparently was at the mic, and he paused with his trumpet, and he like raised his eyebrow, and he started uh, playing the ringtone note for note. And then he repeated it again and again, and then he started ad-libbing on it, and then he eventually brought that melody that he initially was playing back into the ringtone, and everybody was like, just erupted in, a, in applause and was like, that was the greatest performance I've ever seen. Um, what you're going to experience in the text, and I, and I want you really, really to think about what's in Scripture this morning with Cleopas and his, his wife or another friend or his son. We don't, we don't really know who the other person was. But these people had bought into Jesus. They were fixated on his performance on earth the wonders and signs that they had they had seen him do and then Jesus I want you to imagine this then Jesus died like he was really really dead on holy saturday he was in the tomb and they had lost everything like the magic was ruined and they're walking on this road and what Jesus does on this road is that he begins to weave his story into theirs, and it's going to change them forever. Forever. In this account of the, of the resurrection, I really want, like, all the accounts are fascinating. This is by far my favorite. Um, and one of the reasons it's my favorite is because of how little Jesus says in it. Jesus is simply uh, listening to these two disciples, and the Greek says, while their faces look sad, they were depressed. And uh, you would think that if Jesus was going to do it right, you know, he'd want to do it a little bit more visibly. But when you when you think of the term Emmaus, uh, think, you know, think York, Nebraska. Right. Um, think Milford, uh, some some place that's like not in the city center. This is miles away, six or seven miles away from Jerusalem. It was unnotable. And Jesus, after having done literally the greatest thing in human history, goes to take a walk on some back roads with some no-name people. That's strange, right? And the more and more you read the, the gospel accounts, specifically the resurrection accounts, there's a question that I think all of the gospel writers want us to ask. And it's simply, like, is this true? Like, did this, did this actually happen? And you, could, you could use your limbic brain or your rational brain, doesn't matter. Just ask the question. Did this happen? Was somebody that was dead actually alive and still alive today? Ask it. We're going to look at that under three points. The how, why, and for what purpose of the resurrection. So how did he do it? Verses 13 through 24. So many take uh, Cleopas... To be a husband and wife or two disciples or just two friends or a dad and a son. And they're walking presumably back home where they've been discussing the sadness of the weekend. And the fact that Jesus was not 
who they thought he was. They thought he was the Messiah, the one to fix everything and to restore everything. And then a stranger appears and begins to walk with them. Now, we don't know if that's normal in that culture, but like if you're walking on a street in Lincoln, Nebraska with some friend and somebody comes and walks beside you, that's that's odd, right? You're like, no, no, thank you. I'm I'm okay. Um, And then verse 17, which I love verses 17 through 19. Jesus says, uh, hey, what are y'all talking about? And then Cleopas says, are you the only visitor that's been around Jerusalem that has not heard about the things that has taken place in Jerusalem? And then my favorite verse, maybe in all of the scripture, Jesus says, what things? Think about that. Tell me what things happened in Jerusalem. Jesus, you know, he's God, remember, which means that he's omniscient and he knows everything. So why would he ask that question? You know what he's doing? This is how Jesus is sharing the gospel with them. He's allowing them to enter the process of the discovery of who he is. Jesus could have immediately ended whatever sadness they ever felt. But he enjoys the process. In every resurrection account, Jesus allows people to endure their their feelings of loss and meaninglessness before he reveals himself. And I believe that this passage is telling us, look, human beings, this is our part to play in the story of redemption. We will miss the importance of things. Always, We're like sheep. And this is how we are to participate in the story of redemption that we miss literally what's right in front of us. This is what's happening to Cleopas and his, his friend. Now, uh, John Stone is a pastor in Arizona. He gives this illustration where one day he, he lost his sunglasses And he spent hours and hours and hours looking for his sunglasses. So he went back to work. He traced his steps and then he went back home. He looked in his car and then he said, by the end of the day, I finally just put put my head or my hand on my head. And kids, where, where do you think his glasses were? You can tell me. Right. Right on his head. Right. It was an illustration about the will of God. We're always looking for it and it's always right in front of us. But look at verse 21. I want you, I really do want you to think about it. The name of our church is called Redeemer. The The Redeemer is walking with them. And notice what they say. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Please think about that in terms of your life. Especially the things that you are really, really looking for. Really, really, really longing for. What do you think God is going to do in terms of weaving the goodness of the gospel into your story so that you become eternal? And that you look back and you say, this is what he was doing all along. He was there. Grief is is troubling in some ways because it it has a blinding effect. And Jesus is apparently, he's apparently okay with that for a time. Just walking with them. Letting their faces look sad. Letting them cry. And drawing them out. Because he's saying, I'm, I'm with you. The glasses are on your head. And he waits for us to discover that for ourselves. Because it's joyful for him. 
The way in which the resurrection is recorded makes Jesus the ultimate display of hidden beauty. And that is part of the fabric of all of our lives. And here's the discovery beyond grief that these disciples are about to experience. And I don't say this lightly. Uh, just Just like us, they thought that death was irreversible. They thought that. And what Jesus has come to proclaim to you and to them today is that that's actually not true. What's true is that his resurrection is irreversible. That that he reigns with God forever and ever. And that you can be a part of that. Let's think about that under point two, the the why the resurrection. Look at verses 25 through 27. Um, Not only did the Old Testament uh, predict this, but what the Old Testament constantly spoke of was the necessity of a human servant of God that would come and restore things back to the way that they should be. A human being that perfectly imaged God on earth as he is in heaven and that that servant was, was going to come and he was going to reign victorious. But before he reigned, before he accomplished the kingship of being the Messiah, he was supposed to suffer and die, that the suffering preceded the glory. But verse 27 is key to how we should read the Bible and specifically the Old Testament. We oftentimes come to Scripture and we think this is about us. That's what we think naturally in our instincts. Or we think about our own lives and we think our lives are about us. And Jesus says, if you change your approach to this and you see me as the key, as the thing that shines or your life, if you think about your life and you see that I'm the purpose of it, things will click into place. And you will see the beauty of it all. The beauty of that. That's part of what he's doing in the resurrection. There's this famous illustration. It's a, a, most people think it's a legend, but Handel, you know, Handel's Messiah, the composer. Apparently, he and Anne, uh, Queen Anne, in 1714 were, were tight. And he was the composer of the royal family under Anne. But then she died. And George I took over, and apparently George and Handel didn't have a good relationship. And so there was a rift between them. And so he was taken from his position. And as the story goes, he he wrote a tune called Water Music. And he played it for the king when he was on the River Thames riding uh, on an uh, an exploration. And as the story goes, George I uh, thought the music was so beautiful that immediate reconciliation took place. And he was immediately restored back to being the composer of the royal family. Um, This is what Jesus is doing with the resurrection. That he's literally, he's the man from heaven, bringing heaven back to earth, restoring things back to the way that they should be, back to the way that they, they have always wanted to be in God's sovereign plan. When you hear, if you think about your life and as you think about the scripture, when Jesus becomes the the melody, when he becomes the note that holds everything together, wounds get healed. You begin to realize, oh, my my life isn't about like my my performance or 
this scripture isn't about how much I can do for God, but how much Jesus has done for me. And it changes everything. This is the resurrection power that that is in here, that is in your life by the spirit. But another reason why Jesus was risen from from the dead is so that witnesses in the aftermath of Jesus's resurrection and him coming to earth would actually continue to believe it. Don't if you read if you read these accounts, these people are just like us. None of them thought this was possible. Just like us today. We see somebody dead. Is it possible that they could come back alive? The gospel writers knew that people were going to find this unbelievable. That's why Jesus appears to like 500 people. And, and Paul says, as, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't say, well, like that, that person's off their rocker when there's like 500 of them of you. You know, you see them. And, and Jesus is, is showing these people like, look, I am, I am in the flesh. But I want you to see in this text, because it has high applicability to our lives right now, how he convinces them of the validity of his resurrection. There's a there's a number of ways to talk about this, but, um, you know, in the first century, uh, this is a, a direct quote from a Greek philosopher named Celsus. He says, the reason why I don't believe in Christianity is because the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were women. And we all know that women are hysterical and they are not to be trusted. <laughs> not the Bible. This, this is the Greek, the Greek philosopher Celsus. Luke is writing into a culture like that. Now, why would he say that women were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus unless it actually happened? It wouldn't help his validity to, to actually put that in there. But they were all women who first saw him. Secondly, you know, Rome was the superpower of, of the world at the time. And within 300 years of Jesus' resurrection, Christianity had subverted Roman culture. Completely changed it. All of the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, almost all of them, died. Why would they do that unless it was true? But all those things need to be wrestled with if you, if you have a hard time believing in the resurrection, which we all sort of do. But the way that Jesus does it is different. To convince these two disciples of the validity of his resurrection, what does he do? Verse 32. He walks with them and opens up the scripture. Now, you would think, you know, that his identity was veiled from them. Why didn't he just like, hey, ta-da, it's me, Jesus, you know, I was dead and, and now I'm alive. Why does he say, no, look at the thing that you already know so well that you think you know and read it again. Listen to it again and see if your heart doesn't burn. Now, why is this important and what does that mean for you? Well, according to Jesus, what makes the resurrection credible is that God had been saying, look, this has to happen. The son of man has to suffer and be crucified and die and then resurrection. You know why your God must suffer? You know why you need a God that suffers? You know. 
Because the, the hardest things in your life, the things that you, you don't want to experience, if my God doesn't feel that, I can't relate to Him. If my God doesn't feel the worst of this life, then I, I don't know what He's like. And the problem with suffering is that a lot of times it's, it, makes, it makes the gospel seem hidden. But if my God suffers, there must be a meaning to mine, even if I can't see it right now. If it's hidden from me. Look, Wendell, Wendell Berry says believing in the resurrection is a lot like planting a sequoia tree. You know, a sequoia can live over 2000 years old. And he said, the reason why Christian people are so strange and different is that we are to be about the formation of our future selves. That if in 2000 years I am to be about the formation of a culture or my children or this church that will grow into something epic. Well, then that matters with what I do right now. That matters for my present reality. This is why the scriptures are so important and why Jesus points these two back to the Old Testament, because the Bible speaks to this eternal reality, especially in the midst of your suffering, especially when it's hard. It says this is true. You will live on. And the point here is. And this is so hard to believe, but you, you see it in the resurrection. The point here is that even if Jesus were to walk through this door and you could touch him and grab him and see the, the nails in his hands and his feet, he says, that's not going to make you more sure than if you pick this thing up and you give yourself to it. That this is more sure. Peter even says that Peter saw him transfigured and he said, this is more sure than that. This is more sure than your perception of reality. That is crazy. The resurrected Jesus said that. And just think about this story that, you know, Luke's writing to a guy named Theophilus. And I think he's right to anybody that reads it. And, and I think he's wanting us to ask this question. Is this true? Is it? Is whatever I lose in this life, is it true that I get back a hundredfold? You lose a loved one. Jesus is saying, you know, I tend to stop at death. I have some validity to, to say this but at a funeral what you're wanting to know and what your heart is asking is like is this it or did the love that I feel between this person and that I receive from this person is there something that's eternal about it or is it it am I just physical it makes you think about your own death and you think you know are, are my family members just going to walk away from here after I go into the ground and watch the game or am I eternal God says you have a soul and that he has the power to put body and soul back together again. And that what happened to Jesus can actually happen to you. That he is the first fruits of what's to come, that you are a seed that will bloom into something that is unimaginable right now. That is the hope. I tend to stop at death. I don't think that. The gospel is like a reverse cancer. It's, it's more than a ceasing of, of death. It's life as it always should have been. The body that you've always wanted. 
the relationship that you've always dreamt of, but it's never quite good enough because of sin and because of shame and guilt. And the purpose of the resurrection is that Jesus wants to make people who are eternal hopers that believe in a kingdom that's hidden, but that's more sure than our actual physical reality. Verse 30 and 31, the purpose of the resurrection. It was in, so Cleopas and the other person saw Jesus break the bread. And when he broke the bread, it like it clicked for them. And they're like, oh, my gosh, that's the Messiah. And then Jesus vanishes. And you're like, come on, man. Like, it's like the moment that you you got you got it. The gospel, it's like, it, you know, it slips out of your hand. And Jesus, he did the same with Mary. He says, don't cling to me. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit working in this. Which must mean it's more transformative than the physical reality. Doesn't mean the physical reality is important. And then they asked that wonderful question. Did our hearts not burn within us when he walked with us and opened to us the scriptures? Now, here's the point of this church. Here's the point of today. If that happens to at least one person. In the history of our church, everything we do will have been worth it. Everything. Every suffering, every hardship, everything that we will do in the future, everything. This is why Paul says, if the resurrection is true, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abound in love. Because what you do isn't in vain. It has a future. Don't give up. 2,000 years, you'll be something unimaginable, is the promise. Practice resurrection. How do you practice resurrection? Well, you're doing, you're doing it right now. If there's a part of you that's like, I, I think that I am eternal. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you got a future self. Keep going. You're thinking like a seed. You're going to be a tree one day. One, one time, I'll end here. My, my buddy who had spoke about on Good Friday, who was instrumental in my conversion. Uh, after I did convert to Christianity, uh, I took him to go hear a pastor that was uh, influential in my life. And after the sermon, I, I said, hey, Daniel, what did you what did you think about that? Um, and I thought it, like I thought it was a great sermon. And he looked at me like deer in the headlights. And he said, I want to go back to my dorm room and pray. Now, what what happened is that I think his heart was strangely warm when he heard Jesus and he saw him in a new way. His heart was drawn to him. That his resurrection life got in sync with the gospel. And, you know, if this happened, if the resurrection happened, then everything we do matters If it didn't, we have to fabricate a reason for for continuing on. But if it did, then everything you do matters. And in his own timing, he's going to make himself known to you in the opening up of the scriptures and the breaking of the bread. These simple things. And he comes alive to us. And that's what we continue to do in our worship. He's inviting you into a table. You know, these are simple things. And he says... Taste and see this hidden reality of joy for you, laid up for you.
So let's pray. We're going to confess sin um, and come to the table. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that uh, all things, it's not just that all things that are going to come untrue, but that you have uh, in, infused this world with so much ex- explosive life. And I simply ask right now.